Q&A Quest episode, uh, what the hell are we on? 207? Uh, I'm your mid-level troll host, Mike Apps, a.k.a. Wheels, and with me as always. Contemplating the sequel to Dogs, David McBurney, Fanboy Master. The sequel to Dogs? I'm so confused right now. <laughs> There's no further thought process behind that. I just, okay. like, find the idea of sequels to things that don't get sequels very amusing. <laughs> I have previously contemplated things like the sequel to Lunch. So, you know, how do you make a sequel to a species? I don't know, but I feel like I'd be a coward not to try. Sorry, that was the entire thought. I guess you could tame some dinosaurs. I don't know. I got nothing. Uh, let's see. Maya still has either poison or possession. Can't tell which. <laughs> uh, but yeah, uh, this is Q&A Quest. We do questions and answers. We are playing man down here because Gaijin is uh, unavailable to us at this moment. If I'd been smart, I would have yelled at a uh, good friend of the show, M 3 to join us after I finished recording Backtrack recently. But <laughs> that felt like it would be me speaking out of turn, so I didn't do it. Next uh, time. Yes, perhaps. Uh, but yeah, what have you been playing, Wheels? Uh, I've been still playing lots of Apex Legends, but that doesn't count for the show, so... Uh... I've been playing some Persona 2, mostly on stream. Yep. It's exactly where you stopped on the stream last night. Was yes. it last night? Night before? No, was it? Was it last? Yeah, it was last night. Yeah. Uh, playing some Monster Hunter Rise 2, plodding along in that. Successfully not rushing through it so far. So, so far, good so work, good. Good work. Uh, what the hell else am I playing? Um... A little Shin Megami Tensei for Apocalypse. Nice. That game's extremely long. <laughs> I did not realize that. <laughs> I finished the game at level like 110. Jeez. Because the, the vanilla uh, Shin Megami Tensei 4, I think I finished in like 40 hours. Yeah. Which felt fine. That's not like it felt short. Uh, so, uh... I guess people must have complained about that if they made the... I don't think people complained about it. Apocalypse does not feel elongated in its length, but it is one of those things where it's like, I recall it being quite a long game. Sweet. Uh, but yeah, so you're on a Shin Megami Tensei bender at this stage. Yeah, still trying to figure out where to go in this school. And yeah, I have plans for more. Obviously, Nocturne will be out next month, and... Uh, oh, I... damn. Long overdue for another playthrough of Devil Survivor 2 because I get to play through with the, the new voice acting and stuff in the 3DS version. And I've really wanted to do that for a long time. It's just other shiny new things. Yeah. But yeah, I'll have to pick up the SMT3 remaster in like June, probably. My video game spending in. May is probably going to be taken up pretty heavily by Resident Evil, which isn't an RPG. Oh, that's right. I forgot this came out, too. Yep, Resident Evil Village, May 7th. I'll be playing it while, uh, presuming it arrives on time, while kind of in a haze from post-vaccination. So that'll oh, be yeah. fun. 
recording two podcasts the day we both get our second chance. Yeah, that'll be great. It's going to yeah. be interesting, or I'm going to be like, yeah, I'm not recording one of these tonight. <laughs> I'm too tired. Guess what, buddy? I'm going to do both. Yeah, that's Even that's if it kills me. Even if it kills me. Yeah, I mean, I plan on taking the, the day next day off anyway, unless that's I feel list. fine, but that seems... Vanishingly unlikely based yes. on how people tend to report. You Pfizer or Moderna? I keep forgetting. Moderna. Okay, yeah, I hear that that one hits particularly hard on the second yeah. shot, so... But yeah. Um, yeah, I haven't been buying anything new, just uh, Persona 2 and uh, Saga Frontier Remastered. Oh, yeah, duh. It's like, I feel like I'm missing something I've been playing. Uh... Playing real leisurely through Asalis's. Yeah. Fortunately, I just didn't have the attention at the moment to to really start digging into that, but I have played it. It's beautiful, and um, it's got a lot of great quality of life upgrades. Played about an hour of Robot Guy, and then realized I should have named him Bender, and I started over from the beginning. <laughs> so it's weird to me that you didn't. Given the way that you were, the amount of Bender gifts that you threw out in response I, to have selected him. I know. That's that's why I was like, oh, I can't believe I didn't do this. I have to correct this. This cannot stand. All right, I really don't know where the hell to go in the school. Should I look this up? Or... Yeah. Okay. Meandering around all stream. As if you wouldn't otherwise. <laughs> But yeah, um, but yeah, I've been doing a fairly leisurely SLS playthrough. Uh, I tried out things like I've tried out several of the bugs that existed before. Uh, they have been either enshrined as features or uh, kept lovingly. Yeah. Now this, there's no new localization in this, right? There have been touch-ups. Not a okay. ton, but some. Kind of wish there had been more. <laughs> it would have been nice, fine. but the game is very strange, and I feel like there's a certain charm to its weird localization. That's true. Uh, generally, like a lot of the attacks have been renamed to be a little more, uh, a little less obviously space-constrained. All of the... What do you call them? All of the... Sorry, I'm brain dead. Uh, all of the combo attacks actually properly display names rather than saying something like level 4 combination. Nice. Uh, but yeah. Um, so say, uh, I feel like out of all the, the more modern Saga games, this one recalls the f first two games the most, just from its weirdness. It's a weird game. Yeah. Like it has markedly less like traditionalist ideas and structures than even the romancing games, which are not traditional by any stretch of the imagination, but they have like a more consistent setting yeah. and theming than Frontier, which is just all over the fucking map yeah, in the no. best way possible. Yeah, no, that's what I mean. Because like the first two games, you know, you go through like, oh, there's kings and stuff, and eventually you get to, oh, I'm walking through a subway. 
Like you do. Yeah. And I'm not saying that to make it sound stupid. It actually is just interesting. It just, it's cool. I don't know. And Saga Frontier's yeah. got that same vibe. Okay. Like robots and wizards together. Yes, please. That is that. a very wheels combination. Yes. Need this piece of information you're trying to give me, strategy guide. Okay. Go to the student council room. We already did that. Go to room three one. And speak with either Akichi or Maya to trigger a scene. I think you already did that. Okay, if you go back to room three one, the person Akichi and Maya were, ta were talking to will then tell you where the student council president is, which is what you're looking for. Okay. Sweet. Now somebody's poisoned. Wonderful. Like you need to actually talk to the people in the room okay. to keep advancing this quest line. Okay. But yeah. Uh, but yeah. Uh, it's a lovely remaster that I have very little unkind words to say about. So that's been nice. Um, but yeah, otherwise I haven't had a lot of time for game because... Software. Ooh, oh boy. And the engineering of... Yeah, let's, let's speak verbosely as possible about models for that. Um, but yeah, let's not make people sit through that because I can barely sit through that. Uh, <laughs> You also might want to go get some antidotes or something. Yeah. Have you had to take theory of computation yet? No, and I hope I don't. I don't know what you mean by theory of computation. Maybe I've had to take it by another name. Uh, it's a math class. I don't think I've had to take that. Good times. Good times. Doesn't sound it. Also, poison doesn't wear off is the point I was going to make. Whatever you know. Uh, so we got some tales of arise news today. Yeah, that finally reared its head again. I I don't have terribly strong opinions about that game. I didn't watch the trailer. Oh no, it's just the first trailer seemed very generic, and. It kind of made me not terribly interested to see what they were doing, but maybe that's maybe an unfair. Yeah, I haven't watched it either, but September. Do you remember the 21st night of September? Oh, God. On <laughs> uh, current gen and next gen, so including the Xbox. Except Switch. Except, except Switch, yes. Yeah. Poor neglected <laughs> Switch getting no no big games. Except for all the ones that got. Um yes. Yeah. Uh Port Titan. I mean especially Switch you cowards. Especially if you uh pay if you believe the rumors currently floating around about a possible revival of uh the Tales of Destiny remake on Switch. Give it to me. 
Give it. If that happens, I'll be forgiven, and I'll buy three copies. Um, let's see. Yeah, I feel like we're overdue for some of that junk, because the Tale series has been very quiet. It's very inert for a very for a much longer time than it usually is. There hasn't been a proper new one since uh, Berseria, which was like five years ago at this point. Yeah. When that was a series that would release like an entry every year like clockwork for like a decade. And that entry seemed to kind of come and go quietly, too. People people really who played Berseria seemed to really like it, but... I mean, I think part of it was also just there was a big staff shakeup. The series' longtime producer left Bamco at the time, and there was probably some internal review about what to do with it from there. But yeah, he he left Bamco to go work at Square, and then like a year and a half later, uh, the game he was working on he left, and the game he was working on was canceled. So. That's uh, a bit of a shame. We'll never know what that was. <laughs> Darn. Chuck uh, uh... Rock. Chuck Rock, too, son of Chuck. Um, but yeah. Uh, that that got shown again. I need to look at the trailer before I get too interested, but I mean, like, I don't think there's anything else coming out in September yet, so maybe. <laughs> Probably not. But uh, uh, we also have an E3-ish thing coming up, so could be some yeah. pending announcements. But never mind that shit. The thing I care about was announced. You Apex. probably didn't even notice this happened. Apex Legends Mobile? No. Great Ace Attorney Chronicles. Sweet. I'm not even sure if you saw that announcement. Uh, only because you showed me. Oh, I forgot I sent it to you. I sent it to a lot of people. <laughs> I need you to understand, I sent it to so many people. Um, I believe it. Because uh, I was just, like, flipping my shit. Even though this announcement was leaked months ago, it was one of those things where it's like, but what if it doesn't happen for some reason? What's Great Ace also Attorney again? So... The director of the first four Ace Attorney games, Shu Takumi, who also previously directed Dino Crisis 2 and Ghost Trick, Phantom Detective, uh, was uh, not, like, I'm not sure if he wasn't interested or wasn't in a position to direct Ace Attorneys 5 and 6. So he started working on some experimental ideas for what he wanted to do with the, like, he wanted to do spinoffs of the franchise to, like, freshen up what he was going to be doing. Uh... So, he ultimate he produced uh, he produced like pitch documents for uh, did research to produce a pitch for a uh, civil defense Ace Attorney game, but that was ultimately rejected. But he he decided not to pursue that on the basis of all of the all of these trials don't really have clear winners because civil suits are weird and complicated. Then. Uh, like he pitched the idea his dream game because he loves old mystery and detective novels and was like hey let's what if I made a Ace Attorney game set in the 1800s where you partner with Sherlock Holmes mm. and so that in Japan became Daigyakuten Saiban or basically like uh, the great turnabout courtroom uh, and uh, that Languished in Japan only. It was a 3DS game. Uh, 
lovingly crafted, beautiful, fantastic soundtrack, great characters, great writing uh, from what I was able to play and understand. <laughs> uh, like, really strong, uh, like, actual, like, mystery construction. Uh, some of the most absurd names any characters have ever had in the series, because, like, Usually what happens with Ace Attorney games is that the in Japan, the core games would have characters where all of them would have names that were just ridiculous, stupid puns. And then in English, they would localize all of them to be English names that were ridiculous, stupid puns. <laughs> in, uh, in uh, Daigyakusen Saiban, what they did was that all the uh, Japanese characters would have Japanese names that were like mostly puns, but slightly tamed down from some of the other ones. And then the English characters all have like ridiculous. They have English names that are like puns when read by someone who doesn't speak English but does speak Japanese. <laughs> I yeah, I don't think most of them have been changed. A lot of them sound very strange because they have names like. Uh, the the like lead prosecutor in that game is named like Baroque von Zeeks, <laughs> and he looks like Dracula. Um, there's a guy. I'm very curious what they're gonna do with his name because, depending on how you decided to romanize it, you could romanize it as like Hurt Vortex or Heart Vortex, which is kind of on the nose. Probably not a good guy having the name Hurt, Hurt or Heart Vortex. But, yeah. Uh, but basically, it was the, the it has a very uh, interesting take on Sherlock Holmes. Because the way that they incorporate him into gameplay is you have this uh, system called Joint Reasoning, where Sherlock Holmes will go off on like a wild a bunch of wild hairs about like things that might have happened based on the evidence and then your job is to like point out the points in his theory where he's like jumping to conclusions because it's more interesting to him <laughs> and like that's that's how they decided to incorporate Sherlock Holmes into that gameplay uh Oh, Akichi died and then came back, which means that he is free of poison. Uh, Sweet. See? That's not a healthy way to go about things. Uh, but yeah, um, you're you're looking for Classroom 3-1, by the way. If you haven't already been there, at which point afterwards you'll probably be sent to Classroom 2-4. Um, but yeah, so that, that game came out, and it was really cool, and we didn't get it. And then... It got a sequel that was like a direct sequel that picked up a bunch of loose threads that were left behind. Uh, and we obviously weren't getting that because we didn't get the first one. And it would be just nonsensical to attempt to play the second one without playing the first one because they're very closely interconnected plot-wise. And now, today, uh, they announced that both of them are being localized at once and being released in the U.S. in a package as uh, the Great Ace Attorney Chronicles, uh, which is split into, like, adventure and resolve chapters. 
jar. The like it was, uh, like the the full title of the first one was like Daigakuten uh, Saiban Naruhodorianosuke Noboken, which is like the adventure of Naruhodorianosuke, which is the protagonist of the game. Uh, and the second was like Naruhodorianosuke's resolve. So they just sort of split them that way. Um, but they're coming here. They will have all of the DLC. They'll have art galleries, character viewers, music, uh, like a music box that will have both all of the songs from the original games as well as new remixes. Uh, like really just everything you could possibly have wanted uh, from these if you care about uh, these games will be in this collection. Um and they will be launching on July 27th for PS4, Switch, and Steam, uh, where they will be, uh, you know, I mean, just, they will be $40 for both games, which is a lot of game, like a lot of games. Uh, each, like, both games are probably at least, like, a good 20 hours the first run through. Nice. So you're getting a lot of Ace Attorney for your buck. They also added, like, if you really just want to read, if you just want to read it like it's a book, they've uh, they showed in the trailer. They have added a system where they have added a mode where it just selects all of the correct evidence for you. <laughs> so it's just like if you just want to read this like it's a book because it's a good story and it would be a pretty decent book could read it that way but you would miss out on all of the like really nice camera direction that's in this one uh they they really took advantage of the fact that it's in 3d now so there's all sorts of like camera tricks and uh general like cinematography that they couldn't do when they were sprite based but uh you know they they've, they've clearly gone through a lot making these look look and play really nice they, because they're 3d originally they also upscale really cleanly uh, and the game just generally has like a very uh, good art style. They were very nice looking 3DS games. So, nice. yeah, those are those are coming out. Uh, please, if you've never, if you, I know Wheels just doesn't just doesn't get these games. I understand, but listeners, if you if you've never played any of these, these this is a perfectly good place to start. No continuity to get wrapped up in. Uh, but yeah, Greatest Attorney Chronicles, July 27th. Two days before my birthday. Perfect. Nice. So, and, oh, yeah, they're getting a physical release. Which is of note, because that hasn't happened for an Ace Attorney game in, like, 12 years. Not since Ace Attorney Investigations 1, which was not the series high point. So, yeah, I'm big excited, big excited. Sweet. Thinking about it all day. But yeah, that's not an RPG, but it's really good. It's really good. Well, it's RPG-ish, sort of, not really. It probably belongs in Adventure Corner, at least. Yeah, for sure. So, I mean, we will get some kind of coverage of it. Yeah. Should we say I hit some 
<laughs> wow. Yeah, excuse me. Questions? Yeah, give me a minute. I gotta check something that someone just sent me. It's probably hellish. Sorry. So I need to pull up uh, questions. Let's see. I'm going to go to the podcast section of the RP Gamer Discord, which I recommend that you all do. So, somebody linked a question that was posted in general. I'll read it here from Fully Rendered. Opinion question. In games like Dragon Quest XI, where the player has the option to control play as only the main protagonist in battles, while Tactics AIs controls the other party members, do you prefer to be only the protag, or do you prefer to control all the party members in battle? Never mind. Control all of them. Yeah. Never mind there may be bosses or other situations that demand full control over all party members. I've preferred full control of all party members in battle, but with DQ11, I felt like controlling only the main protagonist because that is me. I assume the role of the main character, and that's my only role to play. It almost feels like if I control play as the other party members in battle, then I'll be breaking the immersion of the fantasy that I am the main protagonist, so stick to one role or assume the role of many. Take it one more step. Would you do you enjoy an RPG where you don't have an option to control other party members in battle and can control only the main protagonist? Assume the AI is done well and assume that the battles would not feel too linear. What would be most immersive to you in assuming a role or roles to play? I'm gonna assume that that's not counting action RPGs because I do that all the time in action yeah. RPGs. Um, uh, I don't really like this in turn-based combat. Which is why I don't like the original versions of Persona 3. Oh, man. The, the amount of times that you'll just die in the original version of Persona 3 because someone's AI just ignores the fact that the protagonist is about to die and decides to use a status effect instead that doesn't fucking work. Yeah. I mean, in theory, I like the idea of that. Thinking of, like, oh, you know, how their AI behaves could be based around you know, how how the social link is coming along. but in The game never actually does that, but it's right. an interesting thought. Right. That's what my thought is it would be like, and it's not, so... Yeah, it's, it's, yeah, it's yeah. just obnoxious for the most part. Uh, there are, like, I can accept it, I can play games like that, but I, I usually consider me taking control of the other characters not as literally controlling them, but, like, if I'm... Considering the protagonist to be me, I'm assuming that it's them listening to the, like, battle tactics that I'm yelling at them. Yeah. <laughs> so, okay, I mean, that's usually it, how I square that. Especially with a turn-based combat system, like, the whole kind of meat and potatoes of a combat system like that is strategizing among your whole party. Yeah, to me, that it feels like a lot of times that kind of loses what's interesting about a th turn-based system and makes me just wish, well, why didn't you just let me do an action system if you're just going to take most of the control away from me yeah, anyway? Yeah, exactly. Like, at least let me go through it fast if it's not going to be... if I'm not going to have full control over it. Because, like, that ends up being, like, in this weird position where, like, you're putting your input in and you're hoping that it synergizes with whatever the AI decided to do. And 
oftentimes it doesn't because the AI is real dumb sometimes. Mm-hmm. Again, see also, man, I don't know how much infamy this comic had, but I always remember a uh, just like hasty, hastily drawn comic of the Persona 3 protagonists, like marking them as having like 2 HP left. Uh, and then it being Mitsuri's turn and her just using Maureen Karin, which doesn't even work. <laughs> and, then ta- and then it just, like, smash cut to the, uh, smash cut to the, uh, game over screen. <laughs> yeah, it's just absolutely, like, infuriating in a lot of ways, so. Yeah, so uh, I guess interesting in theory, but not no thanks. I've never seen practice. it done in a way that's satisfying. Yeah, I'm not convinced that it's impossible, but I haven't seen it done. A lot of the older Dragon Quests, I think, do this at least by default. I'm not sure if you can turn it off in most of them. At least like Dragon Quest Four, I think, does this by default. Yeah, I think if if to do that, you'd have to have some not necessarily control, but like. Okay, I, you can give a, a party member a command, and, and you know whether or not they do exactly that or what exactly they do depends on the AI. And I think that might actually piss me off more. <laughs> okay, maybe. The I think the the advantage in Dragon Quest was always that if you had taken control of the characters, they they had to use whatever you had told them to at the beginning of the turn. Whereas, like, Dragon Quest tried to incentivize this, at least before DQ11, by making it so that a party member who was controlled by the AI was allowed to make its decision f- based on what had happened in the previous turn. Hmm. So some an AI might theoretically be able to heal you faster uh, because it will respond to the fact that, say, the entire party just took a big hit, so use a heal-all spell. Which is an interesting idea, I suppose. Uh, I, again, I still usually just turn everyone to let me control them, please. But that's just me. No, same for me. Or, uh... Difficult to deal with. <laughs> um, let's see. Okay, there's some other stuff that I think has been since we last recorded. Okay, yeah, uh, you were reminded that the gameplay audio was too high in episode 204. <laughs> People don't want to hear Ketsu scream. For good reason. Um, it's not that horrifying. Come on. It's just mildly let's, unpleasant. Let's not have an argument with the listeners. <laughs> the customer is always right in this case. Um, these, this one from Berserk Alucard, I don't think we had answered yet. Uh, let's talk dungeons. Any favorite dungeons? Um... Uh, every dungeon in Persona 5. They're all really strong. Yeah, the like, theming is very strong. Literally every single one. <laughs> yeah. It would be difficult to like order them in terms of quality because they're all very strong. Um, 
see uh, outside of Persona 5 um, let's see I'm trying to think of like ones that have really left a lot oh uh, the end of the world in Grandia 1 it's just this big giant ass wall that you're climbing up and the game makes clear this climbing process is taking your party days <laughs> and by the end it's getting to them nice because until that point they have always been told this wall is the end of the world because it has no end <laughs> and your party members start to wonder does it have an end because we've been climbing it for days and we can't tell where the top is <laughs> Yeah, uh, the end of the world in Grandia One is like one of my favorites in terms of just like design and theming. It's a really great uh, dungeon. Uh, oh, that does remind me the one of the writers on that just passed away, I believe. Oh, let me check. Dun, dun, dun. Okay, that is not what I meant when I said writer. Never mind, never mind. I just keep going, keep going. Keep going. Uh, ancient Cistern from Skyward Sword, just like the water temple. In the oh, game. that one's really good. Yeah. It's I was trying to avoid Zelda dungeons because they're kind of cheating compared to everything else, but. Uh, Skyward dungeons are. Skyward Sword dungeons are kind of something else, though. Oh yeah, they're a real cut above. Yeah, that one especially, I think, just had a cool visual style and lots of interesting puzzles. Yeah, plus a really cool item. Yeah, what was the item again? That's Which the whip. That the whip. Okay, yeah, the whip is cool. I can't yeah. wait to play that game again. Same. Uh, the final dungeon in Final Fantasy VI. That's, a, that's an interesting gimmick. Yeah. Which does bring us to, like, Berserk Alucard had a bunch of, like, follow-ups. Bonus points for embellishing on any of the following. Any favorite gimmicks, e.g. the Dark Elf, uh, Dark Elves Lodestone in FF4. Better ditch the Metal Gear if you want to succeed. Uh, I swear there's something like that in one of the Lunar games as well. There's a really mean gimmick at the end of Lunar 1. Uh, where right at the beginning of the dungeon, one of the bosses of the final dungeon curses your par your party. And that makes it so that uh, every time you enter a battle, two of your party members start asleep. Oh, great. It's incredibly mean. It's beautiful. <laughs> uh, and that curse is only lifted when you kill that boss, which is uh, also just adding insult to injury, really. Um very, very uh, strange, pretty mean, but I like it because it's like, yeah, sure. You're actively just trying to make this worse, especially because sleep is a really debilitating status uh, in that case because you take more damage when you're attacked while asleep. Like, the attack will wake you up, but you'll take way more damage from it. <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, especially bad if the protagonist or your healer gets sleeped. Yeah. Um, trying to think of any other uh, particularly favored dungeon gimmicks. Oh, also honorable mention for great dungeons to Luvia 2. 
all the dungeons in that are kind of Zelda-y and very good. Nice. Um, favorite gimmicks, favorite gimmicks. Um, uh, I have a good one. Yeah? Resonance of Fate has a dungeon, and really it's a whole gimmick for the whole chapter, where essentially instead of having battles... Uh, you are throwing presents at children. Oh, yeah, that one's really good. <laughs> like, there's no challenge to it or anything, but it's just... Uh, it's, it's, it's perfect. Kind of yeah. Uh, honorable mention goes to uh, Famicom RPG Sweet Home, which I don't love playing, but I do respect... And it's basically like, what if an entire RPG was just a huge gimmick dungeon? <laughs> because the way that Sweet Home works is that you have five party members. Only three of them can be in a party at a time, so you have to constantly switch between them. Uh, and one party will always be shorthanded. Mm-hmm. Uh, if a character dies, they're dead forever. Uh, each of them has their own inventory and a unique item that uh other characters that like you need to solve puzzles so the unique items there's always a way for characters other characters to get a replacement but it means that it's eating up inventory space for them in addition to their own unique item Mm. it's a very difficult game uh profoundly mean it was made by capcom it's a based off of an 80s japanese horror movie uh, and it was the progenitor to Resident Evil. Hmm. So, uh, just just an extraordinarily strange game, but basically the entire game is a weird gimmick dungeon uh, because you need like the the premise is that your characters came to this like ancient like this fucking haunted mansion because they were trying to uh, find like these valuable pieces of artwork to like document and. Uh, so you have someone that's like supposed to help clean clean the artwork and restore it, and like someone who has to actually document it, and then people who have like things that are more utility for getting around. Like it's it's very interesting. It's a very strange game, and again, very difficult to wholeheartedly recommend. But if you want something weird, <laughs> uh, I always like. A dungeon that involves a lot of your characters not actually doing uh, a lot of fighting, which is why the uh, opening of the Shinra building in FF7 is always very important to me. Because of the long trek up the stairs where your characters get progressively more sick of how many stairs there are. Yes. And the remake's perfect summation of that with, like, Excellent voice acting as Barrett is getting more winded as time goes by. Like, it's just absolutely perfect. But, yeah. Uh, those would be uh, some of my big examples of dungeon gimmicks I appreciate. Um, what makes good pacing for a dungeon? Floors, layout, etc. Um... That's a tough one. Like, it really depends upon how... Oh, actually, Wheels is, I should say, in one of my favorite gimmick dungeons uh, right now. 
the air raid shelter? Yeah, the air raid shelter in Persona 2 Innocent Sin, which if you're paying attention to the uh, to the in, uh, to the rumors that the classes are spreading around you is a dungeon with no exit. Hmm. And we know what rumors do in Persona 2. Um, they come true. Yeah. But if you were paying attention, you probably heard at least one other rumor. I, uh, maybe? Well, you were supposed to have caught this, so I'll say it. Uh, there was a counter-rumor that one person managed to escape the air raid shelter by looking in a mirror. Uh, interesting. So I need to yeah. find a mirror. Well, your characters need to figure that out, because like the first part of this dungeon is going to be you running in a circle like five times until everyone <laughs> starts going nuts. <laughs> Yeah, um, it's. It, I love the degree to which it like doesn't overplay its hand. Like your characters take out, start, like you know, because if you you will probably try to look for an actual exit. You know, there's probably a trick here, but no matter how much you look, you're not going to find it. You just have to go in circles. But yeah, uh, I love me some innocent sin, so that was bound to come up. Okay, but back to the back to the next part of the question. Um, what makes good pacing in a dungeon, floors layout, etc.? Uh, I mean, honestly, it also interacts with how how much it's making you do encounters. Yeah. Um, a high encounter rate will uh, make a dungeon much more fatiguing than a low encounter rate, just in general. Uh, let's see. But yeah, uh, generally, like, it's all about, I would say, the most important aspect for, like, good dungeon pacing is just making sure that the player, if you want them, if you want the dungeon to just be something that they traverse through, like, if there isn't a gimmick about its own impenetrability or confusingness or, you know, general confusion, just making it clear that the player is making progress. Like, changes of scenery, like, general, like, big landmarks that you're able to see perhaps from different angles if you're going up a... if you're climbing something, that sort of thing. Like, you just generally need to make it clear that uh, you're moving towards something. So, like... One of the ways that, say, like Persona 5 modulates dungeon pacing is you know you've made a large, you've taken a fairly large step through the dungeon when you reach a point where the game uh, gives you a uh, rest point. The, because those are like your warp points and your save points and like basically the point where it's telling you it's okay to leave now. And like those are super important. Uh, like some sort of marker that like major progress has been made through the dungeon really helps to uh, set the player's expectations correctly for how much dungeon they have left, which will affect their patience for it a lot. <laughs> like one of the one of the things that really I think destroys a lot of interest in like a section or even an entire game is thinking I thought I was done, 
<laughs> and then realizing that there's a lot more left. And like, if if the player was ready to be done, suddenly I thought I was done is an excuse to stop playing. <laughs> and uh, generally, that's that's not what you want. Um, for like victims of bad dungeon pacing, I would point to something like the the Tower of Babel from Xenogears, uh, where the actual dungeon itself is long, but also there's a lot of ways to easily lose large amounts of progress in it because it has platforming elements, and the platforming elements in Xenogears are bad. Yes, they are. Uh, any any dungeon that's going to rely on like a really samey tile set uh, probably needs to be uh, rethought a little bit. Uh, or it needs to at least aggressively use like floor transitions or room transitions to help hide that. Um, uh, one thing I'll say about this, this air raid shelter dungeon is it wouldn't work if it weren't for the fact that outside of its gimmick, it's tiny. It's like three rooms. It's just that there are three rooms arranged in a circle. <laughs> and if the air raid shelter was large and taking a lap around it didn't take more, didn't take only like two minutes, that would be a problem because you have to take laps around it to progress it. <laughs> and uh, like the entire gimmick is, you know, of course, that you could find the exit at any time if you just knew where to look if you just had something to indirectly look at the, uh, at the, it, to indirectly see the, uh, the exits the same way that you would through a mirror that you'd be able to find it instantly. And like, so for that gimmick to work, the air raid shelter is not very large. However, wheels is finding a way to step on every spiked tile. True. Um, but yeah, uh, especially once you've gone done a circuit around it once, you can just follow your path over and over and get the dungeon done in like seven minutes. So, yeah. Uh, if the dungeon had not been constructed to be traversable very quickly, it would be so obnoxious I could never imagine. <laughs> Honestly, if I were you, I'd just be using Dia for this. Your uh, your SP is going to restore faster than anything. But... Why? I will. <laughs> but yeah. Um, but yeah, like, because I mean, like, different dungeons are meant to serve different purposes. Like, you look at a, uh, especially like different genres will have different purposes for the dungeon. You look at like a wizardry. And it's supposed to be big and confusing and, like, require careful consideration of how it's constructed. But, you know, you look at, say, Final Fantasy, and usually a dungeon exists to modulate the pace between story scenes. And, like, that's not true of all of them. It's like, you look at, like, say, an FF5, and, like, the dungeons are much more the point than, say, an FF10. But, you know, they exist to, for a lot of them, because so many of them are very story-driven, they exist to modulate the pace between the story events. And, like, 
to show the uh, to give to give you an excuse to use the combat system and to show the like travails of the party and like the dungeons themselves in that case become unobtrusive and their objective becomes to be something that you can smoothly move through. So being long is counterintuitive, being circuitous is counterintuitive. You want them to be uh, relative speed bumps. And you'll get different ones, because like, some of the dungeons in like FF15 are supposed to be uh, natural formations, and so they need to exude more of a, sense, a natural sense of place than some, other, some of the other ones. But... You know, philosophies philosophies are very different. Depending, uh, I think we can all just agree that Tartarus was the wrong way, wrong in every direction. <laughs> um, let's see, uh, save anywhere or save points. Uh, uh, depends on the game for me. It depends on the game. I would say that if you gave me a game in a vacuum and asked me which, I would say save anywhere, but give me a point where it makes the most sense to save. Right. So, like, to to use an example again, because Wheels is playing this right now while I'm watching, you can watch a, a stream these. We're usually on Wednesday nights. Uh, but, yeah. Uh, Wheels is playing Persona 2 Innocence then. That is a Save Anywhere game. There are specific places where the game hints at you subtly or unsubtly that you should be saving. <laughs> uh, subtly... Basically, Trish's Fountain, if you need to save in the middle of a dungeon, that's where you're expected to save. Because while using Trish's Fountain is not ideal, because it's usually very expensive relative to what she's actually offering, it is like an escape hatch if you're in des desperate straits and you just need resources. Like, you can use Trish's Fountain, you're safe to save there. Uh, similarly... Right before a boss fight, the game will always have, like, a character signal, like, my persona is sensing something is uh, up ahead, and that is your signal, like, you should save. Uh, because, like, that is going to be a pivotal scene for, more, for one or more reasons. Uh, whereas, like, you get to, you know, and that's, that's useful, because, like, the, the issue of Save Anywhere... And, like, the issue, one of the issues that save points solved, like, part of the reason people did save points, especially, was just that it made the, it probably just made the save data structure simpler. But, uh, in a broader sense, uh, one of the issues that save points solve is the player always knows that this is a reasonable place to save unless your game design was done by an utter bastard. Um... Like, there are absolutely games where this is not the case, but, like, they're notable because they're a betrayal of the player. They are, like, because the save point is, like, why would you put a save point that you didn't intend people to use? But, uh... In general, like, that's the advantage of save points, and, like, a save anywhere system needs to account for the fact that you need to give players, like, a specific place that signals to them, I should save. Because otherwise, a lot of them won't. True. Very true. Like wheels. Yes. Uh, <sighs> but, yeah. Uh, that, that would be one of my, my core 
That would be my manifesto. Uh, shortcuts or warp points? Uh, depends. I usually like shortcuts in anything where, like, the dungeon itself is not meant to be explicitly magical. Yeah. Because the shortcuts give it more of a sense of place, and they can generally, like, allow for interesting connections within the dungeon itself. But, I mean, like, certainly I will take warp points over nothing. And I usually won't get too bent out of shape out of the existence of warp points, but uh, I, I usually like shortcuts. And honestly, I, I also generally like it when there's both. That can be nice. Uh, Persona 5 has a few of those as well. But, let's see. Uh, Minimap or map completion percentage like a 3DS? Don't do map completion percentage. No. Yeah, no, thank you. Like, mark where you've been. That's just useful. Don't give me a reward for getting all of it. Because that encourages the player to play the game in a way that's tedious. Yeah. I remember, I think it was Star Ocean 3, that titan of terrible game design. Uh, Star Ocean 3 gives you stuff for 100% uh, map completion. And... Uh, people actually do that to some extent, especially early on, because you can sell it. <laughs> and it sells for a lot. But, like, just generally, like, game, de like, a, a design element always has to think about what habits in it's instilling into the player and whether that's actually something you want them to be doing. <laughs> and, like, I feel like map completion percentage. It's like, what are you trying to convince the player to do? You're just... Because, like, the player isn't in control of how the auto-mapper works, which means that they are forced to just run around staring at the auto-map and seeing it fill out to make sure that they got everything in the auto-map. And, like, for, say, uh, Metroidvania, that's kind of... That works by virtue of the fact that exploring is the point. It's the core of the game. In a traditional RPG, you're just encouraging them to make sure that they touched every square. And cube touching is not what makes these games fun. For all but, like, I mean, I should say, there are people who enjoy that, but they're usually playing games that are built around mapping. Like, the, those are people who want to play, usually wizardry-style games will have that. But don't insert it into your like your standard bog-ass JRPG. Because it doesn't make any sense there. And it doesn't add anything. <laughs> Let's see. Um, random encounters or enemies on screen? Uh, enemies on screen. I generally prefer symbol encounters. I've seen people who really, really like random encounters because it forces them to get into combat, and otherwise they avoid it all. Like, I usually... I usually ram headlong into a lot of symbol encounters, often intentionally. And for me, it's mostly just a case of, well, I like... I, I If I like your combat, I'm probably going to keep getting into it. And it's a good way to, like... I feel like a bit of pacing that simple encounters allow and that I see a lot of games take is 
if you run into every simple encounter or almost every simple encounter, you will be in a position to fight the boss without a major difficulty spike. Like, that's a way to easily modulate, like, this is the expected amount of EXP, you, the expected level you should be. Like, you fought most of what simple encounters were on each floor. There. That's enough. Uh, which is not something you can really do with random encounters. Because, like, both you and the player are at the mercy of the RNG. Uh, and just generally, I just I just prefer simple encounters. Like, I can mentally be prepared. Like, okay, I guess I'm getting into a fight. I can't get around this guy. Like, that'll just happen. And I'm okay with that. But, like, pure random encounters, just like, oh, come on, man. You don't get the I just took two steps mentality as much with simple encounters. So. Let's see. Uh, new fresh dungeons or revisit a big dungeon like Tartarus in Persona 3. Well, I already shit-talked Tartarus like five minutes ago. That was like a drive-by shit-talking. Wills, are you still there? Yeah, I'm here. Okay, I thought you were dead. No, not quite. Yeah, we might have to make this a short episode because Blue's yeah, dying. I think we should. I'm very tired. <laughs> okay, yeah. So we'll we'll get through Berserk Alucard's questions and offer an apology to everyone else. Uh, Fireminer, we'll get to more of your questions. We promise. But well, we can do one or two of his questions. Should be okay, okay. with that. But yeah, just it'll be kind of a short episode, guys. We're sorry. Um, let's see. Um, but yeah, uh, I already should talk Tartarus, Tartarus out of nowhere like five minutes ago, but, uh, I think, <laughs> I think the concept of revisiting a huge dungeon can be interesting. I definitely don't want it to look like that. <laughs> uh, bland floor after bland floor. Don't worry. This one looks like it's full of disco lights. Um, but yeah, like revisiting a central location can give this game a strong central theme and a good core hook, which like Persona 3 then fucks up anyway. But uh, I, I'm never going to forgive Persona for, forgive Persona 3 for the bit late in the game where it pretends you reach the top of Tartarus. <laughs> and then uh, you fucking uh, clear a story event and suddenly there's more Tartarus. Psych. Here's more that, Tartarus and that, an annoying That shit boss. was stupid. Yeah. Like, just don't... Like, like, that's just like a basic storytelling thing of don't lie about your twists. Yeah. Like, if you've had to not just, not just withhold the truth, but create a fabrication not ma caused by a character, but the very, like way that the medium is interacted with and you have no reason to have done that like no broader purpose behind that other than I wanted to hide that there was more of it go back <laughs> rethink throw out that idea Ugh, just terrible um god that shit's stupid sorry um but yeah, uh, I think I think it's really a strong central gimmick. I can't think of a game I've played where it works really well. 
how do we feel about Phantom Hourglass, I guess? Meh. Like, the issue with the Temple of the Ocean King isn't that you're repeatedly returning to the same place, it's that you have to keep doing the same parts of it over again. Yeah, it's no good. And, like, that's really... That, like, that is supposed to build up to how excited you are when you get to the end of the game and you can just, like, destroy everything. But it's it's not a good enough payoff for how painful it is. So, yeah, I can't think of a case where this has actually worked. <laughs> but I'm convinced that there is, like, a really interesting game. I mean, like, plenty of games, like, wizardry-style games do this a lot. And, like, it works for them. But I can't think of, like, a more traditionalist JRPG where this has worked. No. Uh, so, yeah, not, not recommended, not recommended. Um, let's see. Puzzles like in Golden Sun. Well, I did just talk up uh, Lufia 2, which is also super puzzle-based. Those are really fun. Uh, in general, I think that a weakness of a lot of uh, traditionalist JRPG dungeons is just a lack of interactivity. There's just not a lot to do in most of them. Yeah. Like, they'll occasionally have very bespoke flags that you can trip. Like, oh, uh, press this button to, like, drop a boulder into a pit or something. And, like, that'll be kind of the height of what you can do with those dungeons. But, like, you know, uh, my issues with Golden Sun are definitely not the part where it has, like, neat puzzle dungeons. It's the part where it never shuts up. Um... Uh, uh, let me amend that. It never shuts up, but the characters don't have new things to say. Uh, why is this so blue, Wheels? Uh, my HDMI switch is not Spotty. the best. Yeah. Uh, gotcha. Okay. Uh, for those listening at home, Wheels uh, swapped to playing his switch, and it's tinted extraordinarily blue. Impressively yeah. so. Uh, I also yeah, I, accidentally knocked the dock over before, so that. Oh, so things are just going up, coming up roses. Yeah. Um. Let's see. Um. Sun. Uh. Visual style slash bending the rules visually like Memoria and FF9. Well, we both have talked at length about how much we love, like, Persona 5, which does a bit of all of that. Uh, but yeah, like, I mean, if you're not going to make the dungeon, like, complex to navigate, you kind of have to do something interesting with it visually, or else it's just... hallways. <laughs> Like you kind of you got to do something to mask. If the design is too simplistic, you have to do something mechanically to mask or, or aesthetically to mask that. So, in favor. Uh, do you generally like to skip through as much as possible, or grind and fight all encounters as you go? I it's very rare that I run from an encounter. Like usually, when I'm running from an encounter, it means that. 
I tried to fight it and something went extraordinarily wrong and I'm trying just to cut my losses. How about you, Wheels? Uh, what was the question again? You are not in shape for this. Uh, no, I'm, I'm just trying to figure out what the heck's going on with this thing right now. Do you generally like to skip through as much as possible or grind and fight all encounters as you go? Uh, somewhere in between? <laughs> like, not every single encounter. And this could also depend on the game, too. Like, is there a boss at the end of this? Do I need to conserve resources? Or am I underleveled and I sh should fight everything? There's some almost, mitigating factors to this. I almost always just go for it. But yeah, like I'll, I'll fight most everything until I've reached a point where I've just been wandering around so long I get sick of it. That usually means that I got lost at some point. <laughs> Um, anything else? Yeah, I think that's that. I hope we you hit everything. Uh, in that you wanted to hear from us, Berserk Alley Card, feel free to request further on anything. Uh, Tam then mentioned uh, his least favorite dungeon. Which is the Cave to Rhone in Dragon Quest 2. Uh, I think Shitan85 was pointing out that I think his least favorite is the F of 12 Great Crystal. Uh, oh, that did bring us to another one. Uh, I had a similar issue with Galgo 13 Top Secret Episode for NES. It's a big first-person maze late game that was so confusing, and later on I found out the game actually came with maps. Uh, which is not strictly related, but I just wanted to bring up Galgo 13 Top Secret Episode, which is a very strange game. Based off of one of the longest-running manga ever in Japan. <laughs> Has been in near-continuous... Uh, production for 52 years now its first like break was caused by COVID-19 wow I have no idea how the author is still alive uh, because he was born in like the late 30s Jeez. and uh, manga production schedules are hellish and also he is almost assuredly a chain smoker <laughs> so Oh, hey, Gudgeon's here. Ooh. Started yet? Oh, God. Let's just, uh... Let's bring him in for a few minutes. Yeah, this yeah. is probably not going to be that much, but yeah. No idea how the <laughs> author of Galgo 13 is still alive. But... Uh, Hello. Hey. Welcome, welcome, Gaijin. And how is everyone this evening? 
Uh, Wheels is dying. Uh, dying of technical dying of issues. Technical issues. <laughs> uh, we're getting some flight echo, so not sure what to do about that. Um, we had just gone through Berserk Alucard's question in the Discord about uh, favorite dungeons and a whole bunch of related subjects. If you want to page through that and bring up any that bring that spring to mind. Hmm. Nothing comes to mind right now. One moment, let me actually get organized for a bit. Yeah, don't so, worry. Berserk Alley. Oh, I didn't even know he had questions on here, I think, I guess. Yeah. It was Let's Talk Dungeons. Any favorite dungeons was the start of the questions. Uh, any favorite dungeons? I've got I've got several least favorite dungeons, but. <laughs> yeah, everyone immediately jumped to least favorite dungeons. Yeah. Um, it was something that was really interesting and fun. Um, Hmm. Hmm. I know. I, I like the. I like most of the dungeons in Leaks Awakening. Yeah, those are those are all really good, actually. Yeah, yeah. we kind of banned all the dungeons after a minute because it was like, well, they're cut above everything. So, <laughs> Lufia 2's dungeons were mostly yep, interesting. Yep, brought up Lufia, which is great. Um. Uh huh. Let me think here. Dum 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 dum. dum. Oh, brain, 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 go away, come again another day. Well, I, I liked a lot of things from like Wild Arms two and three that made use of the actual tools for each character. Yeah, okay. those have kind of Lufia esque dungeons when they're get, when they're on form. And when they're not, they're just like, uh, yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> let's see, anything that was really cool. Well, I mean, the dungeon... Um, okay, going much, much more recent, Atelier Ryza 2 and hmm. some beautiful dungeons. Hmm. Just really, really beautiful places to visit. Um, the, the city under the lake, in particular, just stands out as just some amazing visual design. That's a really striking visual just to hear described, so... Yeah. So... That's a good one there. I mean, which is odd because you don't normally associate the Atelier games with very strong dungeon design. No. Yeah, it's not really what they're known for. No, but yeah, I mean, but the Rise of Games are the adventurous um, trilogy of the of the meta series. So, so let's see. Oh, something interesting dungeons. Um, Nino Kuni, the original DS game, had some really cool ones too. Oh yeah, a couple, a couple of which actually survived to the PlayStation version. Nice, <laughs> like the uh, the Temple of the Snake was a good one, but um, well, several of them did not survive to the PlayStation version intact, unfortunately. <laughs> so, um, um, a well done Castlevania. Yeah, yeah. Those end up just being like, you know what? I'm fine playing the spending the entire game in a dungeon. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, let's see. Uh, wrong tab. Um, let's see. 
yeah uh there was there were some other like additional questions any favorite gimmicks eg dark elves lodestone cavern and ff4 uh gimmicks can be good when done right but they're so rarely done right <laughs> we spent a while trying to think of ones that were actually fun um I actually enjoyed the Water Temple in Zelda Ocarina of Time, but I may be in the minority there. Uh, yeah. I enjoyed it. I enjoy it in the 3DS version. The, I think the changes they made in there make it more easy to navigate and a lot more mm. fun. Um, what makes for good pacing for a dungeon, floors slash layout, etc.? kind of went on a discussion about uh, just making sure that there's a feeling of forward progress. Yeah, because that's another thing that is so easy to mess up. Um, I'm thinking Unchained Blades Exiv, or Unchained Blades. Oh, oh God. The, the, ga the game that had 10% um, of the story it needed to properly fill out its dungeons. <laughs> yeah. Uh... I have played entire dungeon crawling games that were shorter than some of the later dungeons individually in that game. Well, that sounds hellish. Yes. I mean, it's a game that makes strange journey seem reasonable on length. Wow. For its dungeons. Uh, let's all go hang out in Sector Eridanus again. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, granted, that was like the worst offender in all of Strange Journey just because it was oh, like four or five dungeons worth of dungeon. Four or five dungeons worth of dungeon, and most of them were teleporter mazes. Yeah. This is going to be good. <sighs> but, okay, okay. Excellent dungeon design. Beyond the Labyrinth. <laughs> <laughs> I gotta keep. I gotta bring it up again because it just fits yeah. very well. It's just. It's got a, some beautiful visual aesthetics. It's generally well designed dungeons, and um, it just looks nice. Yeah. yeah, I mean, like that helps a lot. Just looking nice, like you can put up with a lot if it's at least like visually engaging. Mm -hmm. but, uh, let's see. Uh, save anywhere or save points. Um, it really depends on the game and how the game treats them. Yeah, the, the I, thing. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's like one thing I like is when the game actually treats saving, or um, in some cases re revivals as a plot element. Hmm. So, like in Xenogears or Chrono Cross, where the save points actually had a plot function. Yeah, man, Masato Kato yeah. got really obsessed with that for a couple of years yeah. there. He wrote both and, of those uh, back to back. Yeah. Or like the Metal Max games, where there are actually save stations in each town that's attached to the they're attached to the hunter offices, and it's just it's part. It, it just wouldn't be the same kind of game without those, which is another ding against Metal Max Xeno. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, but um, I mean, one of the issues with Save Anywhere is, as Saga as many Saga games have revealed, um, you. You need some sort of warning that you should not be saving past a certain point. Yeah, that's very important. The other thing that have, came up when we were discussing this earlier was if you're doing a save anywhere system, it can also just be important to remind the player subtly or unsubtly that they should be saving. Yes. <laughs> um, thinking. Yeah. Okay. No. no, keep going, keep going. Oh, I was just saying, like, uh, the example that I gave was... Uh, Persona 2 Innocent Sin, right before you're about to fight a boss, 
you'll almost always get a character saying, like, my persona senses something important behind, like, this door. <laughs> so it's just like a reminder. Maybe heal, maybe save, because, like, there's probably something important about to happen. Yep. Um, and, um, or like, uh, Breath of Fire 5 had the coin-operated save system. Oh, man, yeah, that's ripped straight Wait. out of, like, Resident Evil. <laughs> yeah, which was not nearly as bad as it sounds, just because of the way the game is set up and the entire SOL system. But just looking at it, I know a lot of people just had a, like, um, feeling... Just, like, a visceral dislike of it. Of the idea, without yeah. really trying it very often. Yeah. So, um... But yeah, going back, to, I also mentioned like how they handle revivals, because the first thing that actually came to mind was um, uh, was Final Fantasy Legend Two, which does have a save anywhere function, and it was probably one of the earliest save anywhere functions in any RPG, short of its immediate predecessor. Yeah, they were but, wisely realized that you needed save anywhere on a handheld. <laughs> yes, and amazing, it's amazing that more games didn't go with that. Um, yeah, but. The other thing I liked with that is that it not only had save anywhere, it also had um, the choice to revive after a defeat and go back to fight the enemy again. Up until the point where it became a plot point where you had to destroy the entity giving you that ability <laughs> as part of the original agreement with him to let, to let him do it in the first place. And so you spent the last two main dungeons of the game without the reassurance that if you died, you wouldn't be dead. Which is a fair place to take off that crutch, I suppose. Yeah. So, I mean, and that's, like, just a well-thought-out way of applying it. Yeah. It's not arbitrary when it's taken away, because it's not arbitrary when it's given. Yeah. And that applies to save points as well. Just make, um, if you're going to have them make it feel interesting to have... Um, make them, like, safe places to have campouts, like in Final Fantasy IV. Yeah. That, that, was an, that was a good use of it as a plot point. Literal mm -hmm. plot point. I was always, uh, like, these, the, these are always accompanied by save points rather than being save points themselves, but I always loved when the party in Grandia 1 would just break camp. Mm -hmm. <laughs> now, that would, I think that would count. Yeah, there there was always a save point next to those as well, which. Yeah. Uh, let's see. Uh, some more down going down this list. Shortcuts or warp points. Um, again, depends on the game. Depends on the style of game. Yeah. We we generally came down on we like shortcuts. Uh, if there's not, like, an explicit magical reason for warp points to exist, but we're not going to say no to warp points. Yeah. Uh, map completion percentage, like an FF3DS, which both of us were very against. It's... I mean... Again, I'm, I'm going to keep coming back to Metal Max over and over again, cause, just because this fits so well, but um, Metal Max always had maps that were revealed as you explored, they didn't necessarily reward you for map completion, but it was a good way of letting you know that, hey, maybe there is something over in this sector of the map that you haven't seen yet. And it was um, at least good for keeping track of where you've been. Mm -hmm. um, but 
Otherwise, I liked um, like Legend of Legacy, where the game actively rewarded you for exploring because you are. I mean, that was your job, basically. Yeah, like that makes sense. Like the thing that I was really like against was games where you have like a map completion percentage that gives you something arbitrary for getting a hundred percent. Yeah. Like the thing that immediately came to mind when I read this question was Star Ocean Three would have like a completion percentage that filled up as you walked along the map and when you got 100% it would drop an item in your inventory for no reason yeah that's just kind of an afterthought that's it's both an afterthought and it's encouraging you to play the game in a way that's not fun yeah because you have to walk and uh, run into every polygon collision boundary to make sure that the map fills up really that's almost Uh, as bad as Seventh Dragon, the original, encouraging you to step on every cursed oh, flout on the continent in order to uh, increase mo- uh, like merchant mobility between towns and help decrease prices, and it wasn't really important. And it was really annoying. And yeah. I did it. You really don't want to incentivize behavior that will make playing the game way less fun. <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, let's see. Going down further, uh, random encounters or f- enemies on screen. Mm-hmm. I generally prefer simple encounters, but uh, my opinion was already heard. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Okay. Uh, just w- hadn't heard from you for a minute. Mm. Okay. Uh, yeah. Uh, but yeah, there there are a few more. But uh, we didn't. Uh, I just realized we didn't get to hear what you've been playing, if anything. Oh, I'm just I'm on the final boss of Loot's scenario again, and I have a nice. reasonable chance of beating him this time. <laughs> nice. I actually made it to the final stage of that boss fight last night. I just didn't. Um, didn't pace myself well enough, and I ran out of dream super combos before I got there. Rip. Yeah. And you really need to just save them all up for that stage of the battle. So, especially since Tumble is a zero, um, was a point a skill at this point for Amelia, and it just combos so well with everything. Yeah. It's easier to just have her using that over and over again and help boost everyone else's signal and... Mm-hmm. Then have her unleash havoc on the final, final, final boss. <laughs> See, uh, yeah, I'm probably like halfway through Asalis's scenario, so that's been fun. Uh, did you did you engage in uh, did you engage in gold value manipulation? <laughs> Um, no, I haven't actually done the taconomics bit yet. Yeah, I I did. I, I checked on it to see what, how it functioned, and they did somewhere. They did something in between fixing it and making it a feature. Mm-hmm. Because basically, like the glitch aspect where you would like hold the D-pad in a direction and it would change the value of gold, it's gone. Mm-hmm. And it's re- been replaced by the more you buy, the higher the value it'll be when you sell it all. So if you buy 50 gold in Nelson and take it to 
uh, Kowloon, you'll just uh, you'll make like sixty six thousand gold every single time. Wow. Okay. So they decided that they did want you to have infinite money, but that it shouldn't look as buggy as it did. <laughs> no, I just take massive advantage of the junk shop trick. Oh yeah, the junk shop's a lot of fun. Uh, yeah, yeah, I don't think I've actually changed um, T260G's um, equipment in, in uh, several hours, okay. just off of based on mostly what I got out of that store in the first one. It's uh, really there. strong. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, also, my brain is like confused as to like it's always been like bafflingly uh, rendered as Korong in. The English version, but my brain always thinks of it as Kowloon. Well, that's because that's two different ways of romanizing the old name for Hong Kong. Yeah, like it's definitely supposed to be like Kowloon because that is like what the English, like how you would romanize that in English to make it recognizable what you're referencing. But yeah, like it's just weird to me that my brain like switched it. I think even before I really knew that that's what they were trying. Yeah. Well, I know for a fact that the kanji are nine dragons. So, ah, of course. Yeah. Because <laughs> um, that was, again, like one of the old settlements that became Hong Kong, I believe. Mm -hmm. So, or how about Omi? Oh, yeah. Which is very strangely rendered to look like Aomi in the English version. Yep, but it's Omi as in the sea. Yeah. In Japanese. Yeah, I think, I think my, I must have worked out that it was supposed to be Kowloon because there's a bunch of stuff that is just an actual city that has had, uh, like the names of actual cities are all over Saga Frontier, so. Yeah, Manhattan. Yeah, it's just Manhattan in there. Yeah, Yorkland. Yeah, so it's just one of those things where it's like, well, Kowloon makes more sense than Korong, so. Yeah, uh, a strange game. I love it. Mm -hmm. It's it, it is about as far on or about as unique as you can make a game and still have it be really fun. Yeah. Looking forward to starting up another character once I finish a Salus, but yeah. Got other other fish to fry at the moment, so I haven't been able to put all my time into it like I'd like to. Yep. Uh, but yeah, nothing but Saga Frontier on your end? Yeah, I mean, there's not much time for other things. Makes sense, makes sense. Yeah, I mean, yeah, unless you count running after daughters at the zoo to mm. be a game, which honestly, it, it would be a very interesting side quest. It's the most dangerous game, making sure yes. they don't uh, get into anything that they shouldn't be. <laughs> oh, there, there's this huge play area at the zoo, this huge thing built of logs and stuff with rope bridges. Yeah. And my younger daughter has discovered the rope climbing ladders. Uh -huh. these, uh, the, these thick rope nets and you can mm -hmm. climb up them. And so she has decided that she is doing these. So I had to follow her up the oh. rope climbing ladders, even though the, the ropes are tied a little too narrowly for me to fit my shoes in properly between the, uh. the holes. Not for so adult exact, size. Yeah, they were not. They were not designed for adults. They were designed for children ages six to twelve, which my daughter is certainly not. Yeah. 
She since but she ambitious. has been here eleven months at this point. But and ambitious. She, oh, um, ambitious. She took those. She took that ladder four times straight. Wow. It's just straight up. <laughs> all, all I did was have my hands right behind her in case she fell, and she never did. That's good. Yeah. And then I had to climb like crazy to get up there after her, um, just to make sure that she didn't wander off and fall off the edge. Well <laughs> uh, let's see. Uh, and yeah, and after Berserk Alucard's question, it immediately descended into everyone talking about their least favorite dungeons. <laughs> Hmm. Let's see. Um. Let's see. Uh. But yeah, everyone went on about their least favorite dungeons, and you wandered in right as I was ranting about how I wasn't sure how the author of Golgo Thirteen is still alive. He's still alive. Because... Oh, wow. What? He's still alive. Wow. Yeah, uh, I mean he's in his 70s and almost assuredly a chain smoker and has been writing the same manga for 50 years so it, yeah. it surprised me <laughs> but it's not, uh, Shitan had brought up uh, the at the time uh, for the NES very trendy uh, first person maze at the end of Gago 13 top secret episode uh. there's an obsession with first person mazes inappropriately shoved into uh, other games on the Famicom, and I'm convinced it's entirely on the shoulders of the Portopia serial murder case, which has a uh, first-person maids late in its runtime. <laughs> uh, makes sense. Let's see. Uh, Budai brings up that Fantasy Star 2 had some pretty lousy dungeons. Yeah, those are hellish. Yeah. Anyone else just, play that? Yep. Yeah. But yeah. Part of it was just the They'd only done first-person dungeons before that, I think, and they had no idea how to design it properly. It's it's even weirder because, like, there was an interview I read that was translated not that long ago uh, about Fantasy Star 2 from back in the day where they sort of talked about why its dungeons are so freaking hard. And basically, the it, what they said was basically the guy who was put in charge of designing maps for the dungeons... Was a new hire who was really enthusiastic and overdesigned all of them, <laughs> and they didn't have the heart to tell him to go back and throw out these things that he had clearly, like, poured his soul into. So they just put them in. Oh, that is so '80s video game design. Yeah, it was like, well, oh. points points for trying. Oh, there, here's a fun one: Quest for Glory Two, the city. Of Shepier. Oh, I need to play Quest for Glory too. <laughs> uh, the the manual came with a map for the town. Okay, uh, that that says a lot by itself. <laughs> no, because I mean the the town was I mean you spend like two third over two thirds of the game in the town yeah. and it's uh, based around like it's like designed to look like a northern African Casbah. Nice. Which means everything is narrow alleys between buildings. Yeah, so you kind of need that map to help you orient yourself. Yeah, but um, as, a, as a pro tip, if you ever play it, it's possible to read the street signs. Oh, that's cool. So if you just type in read street sign or read sign, it will tell you which intersections you're at. Um, 
so I was actually able to map out most of what I needed in the city without much effort. Nice. Um, which is good because the very first thing in the game is to find the money changer. And you're given directions and which streets to follow. And you really need to pay attention to which streets you're on. <laughs> but no, later on, you'll receive a magic map that lets you just teleport or not teleport, but um, just travel immediately to wherever you want to go. In the town, it, just in the town. Yeah. 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 Uh, just a fantasy star two uh, anecdote will never stop amusing me because it's like, oh, that's just it's just cruelty. But let's see, um, we have uh, we wanted to hit like one thing off of Fire Miner's list before Wheels dies. Um, so, okay. what is in here? Uh, <laughs> I don't know if anyone else has an opinion on this game. We might have to skip this question for now. Oh, which uh, game? Uh, Grand Stream Saga. I played that back in the day. Yeah. Uh, it's like, it was, it was the fifth quintet Heaven and Earth game. Oh, the one yeah, where basically. nobody has a face. Yep. Yep. Is, uh, and honestly, the, the number one issue I had with that game was that Quintet gave up its 2D sprite designs for an attempt at 3D and failed miserably. Yeah, they were not suited to that. Nope. Uh, yeah, Fireminer actually asks, what do you think held back the Grand Stream Saga from being a classic? And I think it really is Quintet's inexperience with 3D at the time. Definitely. Um, actually, did they ever make a good 3D game? I know that they did one of the um, Full Metal Alchemist games, so I don't know if it was 3D or 2D. Uh, I don't remember which one they did. Yeah. Because um, it was um, that and the uh, Ho- uh, Hoshin Engi game were the two last, the two final games that they made. And Hoshin Engi was very much their 2D sprite style. Yeah, I'm trying to, to think the point of... where I to the point where I could identify it as a quintet game after having not bothered to look at any of the documentation to find out who made it. Yeah, I'm seeing claims that they... Okay, one of the ones I know that they were involved with that's just absolute ass is a Dreamcast Godzilla game. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's hideous and not fun. Um, they made some Saturn games. I feel confident in guessing that those are probably 2D. Uh, mm-hmm. Planet Laika? Oh, that was bizarre. See, that was Wik- a bizarre game. English Wikipedia is crediting it to them. I, I thought it was a red company. But, um, weird. Well, it was, red we- company is like a contract uh, company that often does partial development, so mm-hmm. it's possible. Oh, wait, I've heard of this. I just forgot it was plant- called Planet Laika. Yeah. That's the one where it's not really an RPG as much as it is a really weird adventure game set on Mars where everybody is an anthropomorphic dog and the face of Mars is a literal psionic presence that is driving everybody on the planet or has driven everybody on the planet insane. But your protagonist is fine with it because he already has or he already arrives with four different dissociative disorders. Yeah. Nice. Yes. And they take over um, at various points in the story and relive their past lives. 
and he has to somehow work through this. And the what you would call a combat system is, is more of a beat rhythm game where you're trying to force a ball of energy back against the flow of some into wherever it was coming from. And I only made it halfway through that game before I just quit out of confusion. And I'm surprised I made it that far. I'm yeah, very uh, confused. That sounds interesting. Not necessarily good, but worth experiencing once. Yes. Let's see. But yeah, like everything else that I'm seeing from them is either 2D or like the most regrettable 3D. So I don't think Quintet ever got good at 3D. Yeah. And honestly, they should have, they should not have even tried. Yeah, they should have just sort of stuck to 2D and like maybe moved into handheld development. But... I mean, to be fair, that is sort of what they did. They just yeah, they just they died. Did... <laughs> yeah, they didn't survive their initial mistakes for very long. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So that's uh, I I really think that their inability, inexperience with 3D that holds. Grand Stream Saga back because like it has an interesting world and plot and writing. And I mean, it is it is very much part of their Heaven and Earth series. Yeah, like it is absolutely cut from the same mold as all of those. Yeah, and has many of the same preoccupations. Uh, the actual when the art the actual two D art that like it's theoretically supposed to be emulating in three D is pretty nice. Uh. Mm -hmm. Like the, but like it's all the 3D that brings it down. Like the off-putting like art direction in the 3D, the actual like jank, the combat's much jankier in 3D. Like it, it just doesn't feel as good as it did in 2D, and it's just like oh, yeah. If I remember right, the either the second or third boss was inside this weird organic chamber that oscillated, so yeah. the actual size of the battlefield changed. Every few seconds. It's a game that already felt real janky at best at the best of times. Yeah. Yeah, that was. Yeah, if they could have stuck with 2D and not just gone horribly bankrupt, I think that uh, they might have been able to survive. But. Uh, everything about this is uh, everything about this unsorted, uh, unsourced Wikipedia ma uh, claim, if true, is just really depressing. Uh, what? It Which claims course? that uh, Quintet had like an active sort of like message slash bulletin board uh, until the early aughts uh, when they got. Uh, they were getting like inundated with angry comments about how they weren't making uh, releasing any news about what they were doing, and Quintet staff apparently posted something that translates to, "As we cannot currently release any information, we will close the bulletin board." And they just shut it down, and then their website basically just sort of lapsed into disuse until it was finally taken down in 2008. Oh. Yeah, should see if there are any snaps of that. Might learn some things, but yeah, uh, rip Quintet, burn brightly, burn short, uh, burn uh, as they say, candle that burns twice as bright burns half as long. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, you should you should probably run a plug before wheels uh, falls into complete disrepair and dies. I'm actually somewhat oh. doing okay now. I'm just applying a. Oh, okay. Applying a uh, what what we call it screen filter to a switch because I failed to last time and have to do it again. Okay. It's always fun. Yes. I hate these everything, things. Everything's going great. There's some a nice intro playing for everyone to gaze at. Unlimited Saga playing on my PS3. Yep, that is what's happening right now. I don't know You why. are actually playing Unlimited Saga. No, I'm just letting the, the intro play. Yeah. Well, it is pretty. It's a pretty intro. Yeah. They, they didn't skip on that. Mm-hmm. Everyone better get ready to, for us to try and fail to understand Unlimited Saga when it gets re-released. Yeah. I mean, what do you think are the odds that they will actually attempt to remake it in better... I think that they will add a bunch of things to try to explain how it works, and I think that they will not be enough. Considering how long the basic, um, the ba- uh, basic, not what was I heard, Explan- explanatory walkthrough on GameFAQs is, yeah, and yeah. how long it needs to be. Yeah. But yeah. uh, I love its unbridled ambitions. So I'll support them when they re-release it. Yeah. See. Yeah. Um. Guess we can do another question. Uh. Forty-three. What are the chances of people trying to reboot Ultima? They kind of do that about every three years. You just don't notice because it's always like some mobile game no one gives a shit about. <laughs> like the last one was a was Ultima Quest for the Avatar, which was like a mobile. MMO take on Ultima 4 and not a single person wanted to play that. <laughs> so, uh, I don't I don't see a Ultima reboot anyone's going to give a shit about coming anytime soon. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's, you know, a very different question from if they'll attempt it, which I think is guaranteed because every so often someone takes stock of what EA owns and was like, can we do something with this? Mm. I'd rather see a um, Ultima. Oh god, why can't I think of the name of those Game Boy games? Uh, one of the Ultima Game Boy games. I'd like to see. Ruins of Virtue. Yes, Ruins. Like to see new Ruins of Virtue. Oh, that'd be nice. Those games uh, are ruled. Uh, here's another one that we can probably run through relatively quickly. Uh, I remember what interview he's referring to in this. I remember reading a comment from Agnes Kaku, the translator of Metal Gear Solid 2. She did not translate MGS1. Uh, about the writing quality of video games, basically boiled down to video game writing has a low standard, and that's why someone like Kojima is considered a talented writer. Is this true? Is there any really great writer in the video game industry, anyway? So, I'm gonna 
start this by making a comment that a lot of times people are comparing are making the wrong comparisons with video game writings because they're usually essentially comparing the equivalent of like a big dumb action movie and trying to find an equivalent to like a serious like sentimental drama and those are not comparable even mm. without taking anything else into account because like you bring in something like like you compare something like Metal Gear Solid to something like, uh, you know, Casablanca or Citizen Kane or something like that. Like the usual suspects of why isn't there a Citizen Kane of video games? It's like you're would making you the wrong it? comparison. <laughs> it's not even just would you play it, although that's there too. But like you're making the wrong comparison because something like Metal Gear Solid is more analogous to James Bond or Die Hard. And honestly, I would say that it's not too far apart from those. It's like, never forget that Orson Welles may have done Citizen Kane, but he was also one of the voice actors in the Transformers movie. By God, he hated it. Um, <laughs> it was his last actual role in anything. Play a big toy who beats up other toys. Um, yes. But yeah, like, j just in general, like, it's a bad comparison because it's like, you're... It, it's for the same reason that, like, it's like, well, this is a like comparing a freaking dime store airport not like an airport novel to freaking works of shakespeare that's not what they were meant they are not meant to fulfill the same purposes mm -hmm. uh but yeah like uh you know if you compare like for like i'll take like the plot of you know something like an mgs or a gears of war just as well as i'll take something like the plot of whatever the most recent marvel movie is it's just like hey, they're kind of operating on the same wavelength uh but i mean like even if you if you dig further into that you will find like plenty of people who are like there's also another aspect of games writing that's kind of being ignored here which is like using the medium like the medium tailors itself to different kinds of writing and mm -hmm. that'll affect like you, you don't just like for like compare well this has good dialogue and it's like well that's not the only part of it uh also hooray tales of grace is up um but like in in general like uh again since the the start of this was something like metal gear like that uses aspects of the medium to interact with the player in a way that they would not uh in that they would not and could not in another medium and i think that's an important part of just like using the medium is important <laughs> but I don't, I don't know it's just it's one of those things i i bristle a lot when i see this question because it's like people are only looking at the highest budgeted things which are generally like eh, around what you would expect from the big budget stuff they need to appeal to the broadest possible audience and they need to be uh generally uh you know mass market and that requires them to not try to do like the challenging and risky things that people associate with good writing and like really superlative writing i should say uh but that's that's just how i kind of look at this um and then there's also the fact that I mean, games don't take the same writing style as books very often. 
yeah. can't taste them the same way. Again, I'm still I'm remembering again this comment I made about Final Fantasy 13 many years ago about how the but from the pacing and the it's organization like a novel. <laughs> yeah, it's much more like a novel than it is a game up until the one chapter where everything opens up. Um, and that's one of the and a lot of the complaints I've heard about the game's story largely stem from the organization of the story. Mm-hmm. And so, I mean, if this were a light novel, it would actually have been pretty well done. Yeah. Yeah. But it wasn't a light novel. It was a game that people were expecting to be able to play the entire range of abilities fairly soon instead of not 10 to 15 hours in. Yeah. Like the, the pacing of how things are unlocked would make more sense in a story that you were watching rather than interacting with. Yeah. Uh, we're just reading. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like anything, anything other than like you need to interact with this would make these, uh, this pacing kind of fit better than it has. But they, they were making a game and that has its issues. Uh, yeah, that would be that would be my my thing. And I think, you know, there are a lot of writers that I think are quite talented and, you know, move into do a lot of both interesting things with the medium and write stories that are very interesting, but you know, it's just one of those things where like the the comparisons are almost universally made not necessarily in in bad faith but like they're badly formed uh yeah we're just and, uh, making, oh God. thinking of the wrong things yeah and then since this one we'll go through 45 since this one kind of uh is related since it's another kojima question and i think i'm the only one here that cares uh, also, if Hideo Kojima is an auteur in meta narrative and the interplay between story and gameplay, does that mean he could only succeed with games and not movies? Uh, I think that a movie that Kojima made would be much less interesting than a game he makes because, again, uh, as as was pointed out by the premise of the question, he makes a lot of things that only work as games uh, yeah. and storytelling decisions that rely on the nature of interactive entertainment. Whereas, like, if you do that in a movie like maybe he has ideas for how he would make interesting movies but though that is not they wouldn't be the stories that he's telling in games because they would necessarily have to adapt and be very different mm-hmm. uh, I just yeah it's <laughs> there's really only so much further you can go on that but yeah basically the premise of the question I would consider to be correct uh mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, well, why uh, I have been now podcasting for like five hours, so my oh, wow. voice is getting uh, a little drained. So, uh, no drinks or anything over there. Nope. <laughs> that was your first mistake. Cool that I am. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Okay. Well, then I guess I should plug. Yeah. Okay, it's so... <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, um, okay, Princesses of the Pizza Parlor, Michael Yadimizu, uh, episodes one through nine, plus side story available on Kindle Unlimited, uh, plus three different paperback collections, working on the fourth, um, available through um, Amazon. Um, just if you enjoy... Uh, tabletop role-playing games or reading about people trying to play them and 
don't worry, don't care too much if I make minor mistakes in how certain rules are used occasionally. <laughs> um, then give it a try. It's just some, I know, some nice young adult fantasy fun. Yeah. Yeah. And if you like dungeons, the seventh episode involves a large dungeon. I do like yeah. large dungeons. Yeah. I mean, they don't actually get to see most of the dungeon, but they, there is, it exists. So. Yeah. We recommend it. We we always appreciate hearing that uh, listeners have checked out the mm-hmm. have checked out the series. So let us know. Um, but yeah. Otherwise, I'm dead. Wheels, you dead? Yeah, well, no, yeah. That means yes. Uh, you can leave dead questions. to the world. The podcast's done. Okay. Now. Uh, you can leave questions in the comment section of this very episode or on the Discord. The RP Gamer Discord is a nice place where plenty of people love to congregate. You can talk to, uh, you can talk amongst each other, or you can yell at the staff. We'll all respond as long as you're not yelling meanly. Please don't yell meanly. We beg of you. Uh, but mm-hmm. yeah, if you want the link, just go to the just go to the community section of the RP Gamer website. I forget what the tab's actually called, but it'll link you straight to the Discord. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you know, you're all, okay, yeah, it is labeled community. I was right. Uh, but yeah, uh, mm-hmm. we always love to hear from you guys, so, you know, join in. Um, otherwise, see your space, cowboys. See ya. <laughs>